My name is Jacob Stoops, and you're listening to the Page Two Podcast, my podcast about the reality of being an SEO in which I chronicle the real-life stories, experiences, challenges, and advice from some of the most amazing people in the industry. In this episode, I chat with Joanna Galish, my former colleague at Sapient Razorfish and a really great young female SEO, someone who I feel has almost gone inception in the sense that she's gone from SEO, which at its heart is optimizing for search engines to becoming an Amazon SEO, which is optimizing for a search engine that can be found within another search engine, which is just completely fascinating to me. We talk about how to optimize for Amazon, as well as getting into different ways to diversify your skill set, how you can use reach assignments to grow your expertise, the challenges of getting noticed in a large organization, and much, much more. I will give you fair warning. In this interview, there was a bit of an audio issue, uh, so I please ask that you just bear with me. I've done my best to edit it out, uh, but just know ahead of time that there were a few audio issues caused by internet and using Zoom, and that's the reality of uh, trying to operate a podcast on a low budget. But either way, it's a great discussion, and I hope you enjoy All right, this is uh, Jacob Stoops. I'm here with Joanna Galish, Amazon strategist at Marketplace Strategy. Joanna, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Jake? Doing awesome. Awesome. Uh, Thank you for coming on. And for those of you that don't know, um, Joanna and I actually worked together, like a few of my other guests at a previous agency. I'm not going to name it look at my LinkedIn profile. Um, We've worked together for quite a while. And Joanna is a really awesome um, SEO strategist and has uh, a background in content. And uh, something that I find even more fascinating is getting into the world of Amazon SEO. So definitely something I hope to cover today. (laughs) So Joanna, tell me, uh, well, Oh. Phase one. Oh, there's a cat. Sorry. It's okay. No worries. Uh, <laughs> making an appearance. That's funny. Um, so <laughs> the life. So as best you can with, with your cat distracting you, describe, <laughs> you know, tell me about your background. Tell me uh, how you got into the industry. Tell me how you got to your current, your current place and kind of give me Give me the the synopsis of how you got into SEO. Sure thing. Um, That's a great question. And it's really kind of funny how it came about because uh, when I was um, in school and everything, you know, I feel like SEO and PPC and terms like that were kind of thrown around, but um, I graduated in 2013. So things like that still weren't really incorporated into like general marketing curriculum that much. Um, I specifically was studying strategic communication in addition to marketing. It definitely wasn't um, on my radar a ton, but I do recall um, having a, uh, a specific marketing class with a, this one professor, and I really trusted him, really liked him a lot. Um, it was like my junior year of college and went to his office hours, and I was like, hey, I'm you know, going to go to the career fair. You know, can you put some companies on my radar that you know, you've seen your students have success at or that you've heard good things about, blah, blah, blah. So, um, so we were chatting and, um, 
you know, one of the companies that he mentioned was, you know, the company that you and I had, you know, ended up eventually working at together, Jake. And so, um, you know, ended up going up to them at, at the career fair. And at that point, um, you know, they were like, well, what are your strengths and things like that? And I um, have always been one of those kind of nerds who definitely has that uh, English history background. It's always been my forte. I knew that I really enjoyed writing. So, um, so I spoke with my professor, he recommended a few companies to chat with at career fair. So researched them a bit. Um, one of them was in my hometown, which was great. I was like, okay, cool. So went up to them at the career fair, um, definitely knew that my strengths and skill set were more so in the like writing and history area. Um, wanted to really try to do something that combined, uh, writing with marketing if possible. So went up to them, gave the recruiter my resume. She looked at it for about half a second and, um, she was like, oh my goodness, you're from, you know, this hometown. And it turns out she was from the exact same place as me, but she was just a little bit older than me. So we had never known each other in school or anything like that. But, um, so we just totally hit it off. And, um, from that point forward, um, she basically offered me kind of a, a more specific internship in terms of, um, you know, not like, you know, SEO in general and learning the basics, but with a bit more of that content spin. So um, that was where I ended up meeting, um, you know, Maggie Barr, like one of your other guests, and as well as many of the um, other colleagues that we've met. So uh, interned there, um, absolutely loved it, you know, really liked getting to learn about SEO. I felt like it was kind of the perfect merging in, of all my different interests that I'd had. Um, and so then um, after the internship was given a full-time offer, so kind of sailed through that senior year of school with the offer in my pocket, which was very, very nice. Um, and then came back and started my career full-time in SEO. So that was sort of, um, you know, how I ended up where I did. Initially, when I had come back, um, there was sort of a more separate uh, content team thing that was going on, but I would say within a year or less that was kind of um, dissolved and we were kind of just more so moved um, in with the broader SEO strategist, which I think was definitely a, a very good move in terms of um, just my learnings and career in general. Yeah, that is something Maggie and I had, had talked about with the idea of um, there was a, an SEO strategist career track and a content strategist career track and at a certain point, just because writing is is writing is writing, um, that career track sort of and ended right, and and mm -hmm. there was a certain point in which the the folks unfortunately in that career track had peaked, and some of them loved writing and wanted to continue to do it, and that's that's fine, um, but the problem was the expectation of continuing to advance from a from a career perspective without moving over into the into the kind of the strategist genre so a lot of the the folks that were on the content path moved over and um honestly it was it was after i think a few a few kinks and a, and a bit of a learning curve um moved over into the strategist roles pretty pretty nicely so that was something um that i i, I know i I, w I was a part of and really pushing for and something that i'm glad to uh, to have seen happen um, because I, I never like to see people get kind of bottlenecked from a, from a career standpoint or feel like they've, they've peaked. So that was definitely something that stuck with, with me. Absolutely. Um, so what was it like at the beginning, at the beginning of your career? Just like how, how are you, how are you feeling? Um, what type of work was being thrown at you? And I guess I'm trying to put this in the perspective of somebody in 2018 
starting? Like what types of things did you, did you go through? And if I'm a newbie to SEO, what types of things should I expect to go through? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think in general, and maybe part of this was um, kind of just, you know, entering into a little bit of a larger agency life um, for an initial career. But I will say at first, um, and, you know, I would say maybe for the first few years, I did kind of feel like a very small fish in a very large pond. Um, And, you know, definitely kind of, I would say maybe even a bit like idolized a lot of the people who were in more senior roles. I felt that they just, everyone seemed like geniuses and gods and they they knew everything about, you know, Google and SEO. And um, of course that was kind of dispelled (laughs) further along that I got in my career and I realized, oh, well I can just use Google and be just as smart as them. Um, But uh, no, I would say initially though, a lot of the work, um, particularly while I was kind of a little more in that content track too, was kind of basic optimization. So just going through and, you know, checking out title tags, meta descriptions um, that, you know, a lot of times just focusing in on the character count um, and, you know, the best optimizations that we can get. So yeah, so just kind of a lot of those typical on-page optimizations. I would say that um, initially my knowledge of um, technical and offsite was pretty limited. Um, I did start getting a few more projects with Offsite, and that was kind of still while the you know, link building was kind of a thing. So you know, doing doing a little bit of that um, as well, and then I would say eventually, once we got kind of rolled off of that content specific track, I started kind of dipping my toes into the technical front a little bit more. And Jake, the trainings that that you did with the team really um, helped me to learn and grow a lot with that as well as um, as well as a few specific um, that I you know requested the people and felt very comfortable with the people who were leading the accounts and I think they felt comfortable with me so they were willing to give me a few more of those kind of reach assignments if you will and um, I think that was how I started kind of growing into the technical background and learning how to use a lot of those third-party tools and running audits and you know tracking keywords and bright edge and conductor and um, you know just all sorts of things like that that are very commonplace but I think that um, starting out at a larger agency um, a lot of times those tasks kind of fell to certain people on accounts who'd just always been doing them. So it was a bit of a breakthrough, I think, to finally begin to, you know, do a lot of those things that, you know, nowadays just seem like secondhand nature for, you know, for most people who are in any sort of an SEO career, whether you're entry level or not. So you mentioned something interesting. You mentioned reach assignments. And and I feel like, um, within agency agency world, less so in-house, but within agency world, when you're trying to plan out who does the, you know, you, let's say you win a piece of business and trying to figure out, all right, who's going to do this work? Who's available? Who's the best fit? One of the challenges, kind of like the chicken or the egg, um, on one side, you want to give people the opportunity to grow. On the other side, you want to make sure that you're fulfilling um, fulfilling the needs of the uh, account and making sure that you're that you're putting um, this is probably not a the, the right word but it's the word that's coming in my mind um, competent competent people people that you know for sure can can do the job and in the middle somewhere is the reach assignment giving somebody uh, an opportunity to learn on the job and to show that they can um, that they can do more um, how important was that for your development? Honestly, I would say that that was huge. Um, I can even think back to some like very specific assignments that I did. Um, there were some where we were kind of trying to build out like a content hub. So I was in charge of, you know, doing a lot of the 
um, you know, keyword research, identifying, um, you know, topics for those, um, you know, what kind of sites could we, you know, link these articles from, like, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, just kind of having that sense of you being the owner of the project, even if there's still oversight, um, that for me, I think was huge and was really something that helped me to build my confidence. And I think another thing, too, that I tried to do um, when I interned, but then also tried to kind of continue doing so um, as a full-time employee as well was just sort of exposing myself to um, senior leadership or, or people who were um, a little bit higher up that I normally wouldn't just because maybe they were doing thought leadership or <laughs> come on. And we have a cat sighting. <laughs> Apologies about That's okay. that. <laughs> um, so uh, I would I would try to kind of get myself doing assignments. Even I remember one was honestly just compiling lists of upcoming conferences or awards, and I would meet with you know some um, you know higher up people to review that like once a month. Um, and I think things like that just were really helpful to me. Um, number one, to get out of my comfort zone because I had kind of in school I was kind of that person who you know I was like keep your head down at your desk you know good do good work and eventually either you know you'll get noticed or um, you'll get the good grades or whatever is going to come your way from that and I quickly learned that in the working world that's not how things happen so I think that um, for anyone who's a little bit you know newer in their career um, just doing things like that was huge I think also to something that I caught on to very quickly was that, you know, in a field like SEO where everything's changing every single day, um, to me, just making sure that I was staying up to date with all of those, um, you know, just different like knowledge, anything knowledge related and thought learning, like always making sure I was getting email updates. If I saw something that seemed cool that I didn't think anyone, you know, also my team had seen yet, I was always very quick to like shoot stuff like that out. So I think just anything um, to try to help you stand out in terms of your peers, just it not only helps your confidence, but it helps people feel more comfortable in coming to you and using you as that resource. Yeah, absolutely. That and it's funny you answered you answered the question <laughs> I wrote down. Make people notice you um, because you're you're right. When you're heads down, that's 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 great. And and um, certain people like when people can be heads down and just focused on getting work done and not worrying about the the drama of the workplace or the politics of the workplace. But when it comes to um, your your career path, and this goes, I think, with any any profession, the folks above you, um, I, I, I think there can be an assumption that if I keep my head down and I don't ever raise my, my hand, um, somebody someday is going to come and magically and promote me. And um, I, I know I came to learn that you have to balance it. And um, I hate to, I hate to say that the squeaky wheel gets the grease doesn't pay off, but it, it, it does. You, you have to let people know um, both in the sense of, Hey, I'm, I, I'm interested in a promotion or I'm, I'm interested in that opportunity or I'm interested in this reach assignment. I'd like to learn more about this um, in order to like, um, honestly, you have to raise your hand. Otherwise, otherwise people won't know what they, what they, what they don't know when it comes to, if you're trying to get your your manager to um, to notice you or to give you another opportunity, maybe they don't know that you want X, Y, or X, Y, or Z. So I think that um, figuring out a way to balance the keep your head down, stay out of the politics, do good work with um, being a squeaky wheel from time to time is not a bad thing and good good for your career 
ultimately. But then you, you also want to balance that with don't be a squeaky wheel all the time, right? Don't be going into your boss's office every other day um, complaining or what, you know, whatever, what, what not, or saying, why didn't I get this promotion or this drama going around, going around the office or whatever. Right. So definitely you, as you, I was going to ask you that, <laughs> that question. So anyways. Yeah, and I think for me too, one of the things that I learned was, um, you know, not even just about being a squeaky wheel, but for me, the main things that I would try to think about, not just in terms of like, how do I get promoted, but just in my everyday work life was number one, how do I make myself a valuable team member? And then number two, how do I make other people's jobs around me easier, especially of the people that yeah. I'm reporting to and that are higher up. So like I said, initially, you know, I started with really small menial stuff like compiling Excel documents of conferences. Um, but eventually, uh, by the end of my time at my, my first job, I was, um, you know, managing our agency's relationship with, um, with Conductor. I eventually was, you know, running our team meetings across the nation for our SEO team. Um, so I think it's just kind of doing things that not even necessarily are, um, you know, you're, you know, going to your boss's office saying, oh, hey, I did X, Y, Z, but it's more so you're, you're going in there and saying, Hey, um, I noticed you have a lot on your plate. Like what's, what's some stuff that I can, I can take off for you or, Hey, do you need help? I can send out this meeting invite. I'll make a deck for this. Um, just kind of stuff like that I think is, is the hugely helpful stuff. And I think it's, they always say that it's more about, you know, people will remember how you make them feel, um, instead of what you're doing or what you're saying. So if your, your boss remembers you as someone who goes in there and they're like, wow, like that person was so helpful. Like they're going to think about you positively. And I think at the end of the day, that's, going to kind of influence your career in the best way possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. You never want somebody to think of you as that, that asshole <laughs> that made <laughs> yeah, my life harder. <laughs> so how did you get to marketplace strategy? Where did they, where did they come in? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so actually one of uh, our co-founders, Sam, just honest to goodness, found me on LinkedIn. And at the time when he reached out, um, you know, I was looking, but I kind of just felt that, Everything that I had been seeing, um, you know, either on LinkedIn or other job sites, it just felt old and stale. It was places I'd heard of. It's a lot of times places I hadn't heard the best things about. Just nothing that I truly felt excited about. And then when um, Sam's uh, note ended up in my inbox, I was like, marketplace strategy, what is that? Like, it mm -hmm. was so unusual for me. And, you know, I Googled it immediately. So I was like, oh, you know, there's no way like this has got to be in like LA or New York or something. And um, when I found out it was uh, in Cleveland, I, I was, you know, pretty shocked. And I was like, I thought I knew the agency scene here, you know, why haven't I heard of these people? And so, um, you know, just went into, you know, had a phone interview with him, you know, literally lasted over an hour. We were kind of just like shooting the shit. It was great. I honestly felt like I was talking to someone like you, Jake, that I had known for a while and who was just like a seasoned professional, um, you know, and then just really felt comfortable not only meeting him and the other co-founders, but the rest of the team as well. And I was um, very, very hesitant to, um, you know, to leave where we had worked together just because everyone there we just were great people and everyone felt like a family. Um, but it was kind of a relief to see that, you know, even though I hadn't known these people for five plus years, I could still go somewhere else and, you know, make new friends and everything would be okay. And that I could find other good coworkers. And I think that eventually that was, 
um, that was what kind of helped me be able to make that decision and feel comfortable and confident about it. But yeah, so, you know, at the end of the day, Sam was, you know, just founding me on LinkedIn, um, just in terms of my profile. And so, um, that was kind of how they, um, they grabbed me that way. But at that point that was in March of, um, 2018. And, uh, since then, I believe I was like the 15th hire and I think we're up to 22 now. And, possibly going to double this year it's the growth is going to be huge there's just so much demand for um you know help on amazon and other third-party marketplaces right now so the funny thing is so and it's weird but even in this day and age they still don't teach seo like proper seo in in college so to some people seo still seems new now, take those people who, who think that SEO is, is relatively new. Now, it's, it's been around for 20 years. But to those people, the even newer form of SEO, and maybe why you hadn't heard of this place, is because Amazon, is who we as SEOs often compete with in Google search results, and everybody always thinks SEO, Google, 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 well, Amazon has become such a juggernaut that people are now optimizing the results in Amazon. It's its own search engine, right? So that's a newer form of uh, of SEO. And I foresee this continuing to splinter off um, with, uh, you know, other brands that, that sell things. Eventually, um, people will be, it won't just be an Amazon SEO, maybe it'll be a a Wayfair or whatever. I, you know, I can't think of another mm-hmm. brand off the top of my head, but it will splinter off and people won't just be optimizing for Google and Bing anymore. It will be, hey, I'm, Google and Bing's important, but you need to optimize my Amazon feed. You need to, you need to do whatever. So it's really, I, I find it fascinating the rise of Amazon SEO as a career option now. Um, so Tell me what it's like. What is it like working for, what, what does Marketplace Strategy do? What is it like working for them? What do you do day to day? How do you optimize for Amazon? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think um, for me, something that's been um, kind of an interesting shift is that I feel like in my old job, I was playing a good mix of, um, you know, kind of doing the, you know, heads down SEO uh, work and at this job um, and, and doing project management. And this job has been maybe a little bit more on the project management focus, but I feel like I've become um, a subject matter expert on a lot more diverse subjects. So whereas at um, my former job, it was like just SEO. I feel like now I've gotten a broader reach to kind of learn more about advertising um, and uh, technical and just other other elements like that. Not that I wasn't aware of those before, but I feel like I've gotten a lot more in depth with those, which is pretty cool. But um, relating specifically to um, to optimizing and kind of my day to day, you know, lots of client emails, like just like anyone else's job. Um, but I think what for me was so different about Amazon was that you know with Google, it's a little bit more um, predictable. I think we're just all more used to it. And I think with Amazon, um, their uh, platforms and algorithm are just so much less sophisticated. I would say probably at least like five years or so behind Google, if not more. And then um, if you can imagine that, imagine that every other uh, third party that's out there, so like the Walmarts, the Home Depots, the Wayfair, stuff like that, are even less sophisticated than Amazon. That's a great, I should have said Walmart. They're, they're, they're a junk competitor. Okay. Yeah. Go on. Um, yeah. So what's been interesting about that too, is just learning about, um, you know, 
how do we best go about optimizing on Amazon? What are the different levers that we can pull? And with Amazon, what's interesting is your number one ranking factor is going to be sales velocity. So obviously on Google, we don't have that, right? right? So with Amazon, that's the most important thing. And that's also influenced by some things that we can control and then other things that are more indirect that we can't control. But, um, you know, from a marketing perspective, we can try to help that out through things like optimizing the product images, the enhanced brand content or A-plus content, um, you know, going through and optimizing the titles, bullets, and descriptions. And what's interesting as well about Amazon is so not only are um, there kind of two different fulfillment methods, well, there's many fulfillment methods, but in terms of platforms of, you know, ways that you can sell your products to the end consumer. So you can either be um, a first party and they have a separate platform for that called Vendor Central and they have a third party platform called Seller Central. So for me, it was a huge learning curve um, to, you know, kind of take all the skills that I had from my previous position and then learn how to master that within these platforms and knowing that, you know, they weren't as sophisticated as Google. And so thinking about what did I need to be doing to make sure that, you know, my clients' optimizations were successful and that we were using, um, you know, the SEO type optimizations in conjunction with advertising to kind of create that flywheel effect, if you will, and get more eyes to, um, to our clients' product detail pages. So like, for example, with Amazon, um, you know, on Google, how, you know, you definitely want your keyword, like in the title tag to, you know, mm -hmm. to help rank. Amazon doesn't really matter as much like where you put things. If you mention it in your on-page copy, you don't really necessarily have to double dip and then mention it again. They have back-end keywords that are available through their platforms. Don't really need to do that. So it's just kind of interesting, and I'm sure that it will over time get more, um, you know, update more and get more sophisticated, and um, there'll be a lot more nuances that we have to remember. But at this point in time, it's more um, what for me has been interesting is kind of learning what differentiates the first party platform from the third party platform, knowing the data that I'm able to get from each of those platforms, depending on my clients reporting levels that they have within Amazon. And then using that to just make sure that we're going about, um, you know, optimizing our products in the, you know, most, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for just in the best way possible, like prior prioritize them properly. So if I'm a consumer and I'm going to a marketplace, Amazon, I'm assuming there are other sites outside of Amazon that you work on as well, but like, how can, how can I tell if I'm a consumer or, or can you tell if something's been, been optimized? I would say in general, it tends to be pretty obvious. You can kind of tell. Um, so what's interesting to keep in mind with Amazon is that, um, you know, while optimizing the text is important, um, 90% of, uh, people will look at every single, um, image on a product detail page. And then amount of people who actually go through and read the text is much, much lower than that, as I'm sure you can imagine. So, mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately Amazon is very guarded with their data and they don't really like to give us too much, but based on all the studies that, um, you know, that we can see, you know, the main emphasis that we do want to place is on those product images, specifically, um, the main image. So that's that first image that you'll see product on a white background. That's what's going to come up in the search results especially in a uh, category like grocery. So yeah, we've been trying to just kind of play around with, you know, how do we make our clients' product images stand out, especially in different categories like grocery, for example. And you might've even seen this in your own personal searching. So like, let's say you're searching for um, coffee, like K-cups. So when you're searching, um, you know, a lot of times for some of our clients in that space, we've been putting um, like extra little 
text blurbs within the main image. They kind of, Amazon's not always thrilled about it. Sometimes they might reject it, but, um, you know, so we might say like 25 pack or we might say the flavor like on the side of the image vertically. So that way it just makes it stand out when every other image that you're seeing in a listing would, might just be the product on a white background and you have to actually click through sometimes to see what that flavor is or what's the pack size. Um, and that's, so just, is that flat text on the image? Uh, I believe so. I'm not 100% on, on that though. People do that on YouTube now. I mean, like most people have, yeah, the, the visible text over, over top of the thumbnail. That's interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So just kind of doing, um, you know, doing little things like that. And then, um, you know, from, I would say just from a consumer perspective, I think that just you and your personal shopping, looking at different listings, like it's probably pretty easy for, you know, for you to tell in most cases if something's been optimized or not. Um, if the title kind of follows a more specific format and it has some extra detail, um, includes things like features and benefits, what the size has been, you know, most likely that title has been optimized. Um, typically for bullet points, um, you know, a format that we tend to recommend for most clients is, um, you know, starting out with, with all caps, um, just to kind of call out some of those, you know, main features or important things about your product and then having, you know, the additional um, description in a title case or, excuse me, in sentence case that we're following that. Um, and then, you know, the product description is kind of where we put a lot more of that, like the meat, if you will. So especially on a lot more technical products. Um, I have a client who sells landscape lighting. So we have to, um, you know, go through things about um, like different voltage or what transformer might you need with this or, you know, things like that. A lot of times we'll provide that kind of information in a product description because if a person is taking all that time to scroll the way down there, then they definitely want to read that. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that um, just kind of, you know, from, from your own shopping, um, you know, in browsing, you know, you can definitely tell, especially a lot of those listings um, that are third party listings. It's like, um, you know, not ships and sold by Amazon, but ships and sold by like XYZ company arriving in like three to four weeks. It's probably coming from China. Um, a mm -hmm. lot of times those listings um, definitely aren't as optimized and they might just have a couple bullets with some very abbreviated text and likely only um, one product image. So how important are reviews? Reviews are huge on Amazon because um, they really help contribute to that sales velocity. And it's just because going, you know, thinking back to that consumer mindset, that's what a consumer wants. Like when you're shopping for yourself, I'm sure if you saw a product that was like about the same price as another, but like one had one review and it was like three stars and another had like 250 reviews and it was like 4.5 stars. Even if it's maybe like a dollar or two different, you're probably going to buy that product that has like 250 reviews because it just makes the seller seem more credible, um, makes the product itself seem more credible. Um, and so uh, I would say, I think from Amazon's perspective, um, depending on which, uh, you know, which platform a, um, a client is using to sell their products to Amazon, we have some different options where if a product is new or has like less than five reviews or things like that, we can um, try to help them out. And there's some ways where Amazon sometimes offers incentives for people to review and then, you know, bills the client. Um, there's uh, through the one, the first party platform, there's some more expensive programs that can be used. Um, there's some other things we can do to kind of automate emails to send out um, to people who, you know, have purchased the product or, um, you know, who are kind of on your email list, things like that, um, which are helpful. But um, I would say in general, though, like the reviews are huge. And I, uh, I can't remember if I don't know if this is 
something that's for sure, but um, from kind of what we've gleaned from Amazon is that I think um, typically for a product to, you know, what they're looking for in terms of reviews is I think they want you to be at like about at least 30 reviews. Um, but I would say like those, those are probably your most critical, um, but definitely like if you can get like at least five, that's, that's really key. How do you do your research on the platform? Like it's an SEO, right? We're always doing research, keyword research, competitive research. Does that exist within the platform? Yeah, that's a great question. So honestly, a lot of times, um, you know, just by doing things like simple product searches, seeing who you're, you know, who else is coming up for a lot of those, you know, main terms that you want to be targeting for your own products, um, you know, within the advertising platform, what's kind of cool is that we're able to, um, we can serve up some competitive ads and, you know, target specific products with those, which is really neat. Um, but I would say in terms of just like general SEO keyword research type stuff, um, Amazon really is not the greatest for providing us data. Um, we tend to use a lot of third party, uh, tools to help us with that. Um, there's one called jungle scout that can help us, um, essentially scrape the SERPs within Amazon and, um, pull things out. They also have, um, a keyword research, uh, tool that we use as well. I'm blanking right now on, on some other third, uh, third party tools that we use, but, um, there definitely are, um, a lot of good ways to, um, to kind of quantify those, those numbers on Amazon. It's just, unfortunately, a lot of times not directly through the Amazon platform, mm. um, but, um, but yeah, so, and like I said, just kind of going back to that, you know, doing your own product research, um, you know, just kind of searching those keywords, I would, you know, be looking at your competitors listings. Um, you know, we do that a lot. We look at our reviews, we compare to, um, competitors reviews. We try to see, um, you know, other things that are maybe lacking in their product that ours offers. Are there things that people are complaining about with um, our products that we can try to better identify within the content? And will that maybe help us, um, like, rank better, things like that? Like, maybe people are using a product for a totally different intent than what the product was actually made for, but can we try to incorporate that and, you know, boost our sales and, you know, ultimately our rankings and search volume? So, so let's move away from... Amazon for a second. So for you, what, what would you say have been both your biggest successes and your biggest failures, regrets, funny stories, oh shit moments within the industry? Um, that's a really good question. So in terms of successes, um, a lot of times, not that I, I don't want to say I didn't work for things, but I, I feel like a lot of times it was just sort of circumstances and things kind of just fell in my lap. Um, so uh, at, at the former uh, agency that I was at, there um, uh, was kind of a bit of a mass exodus, for lack of a better term. And so um, a lot of, uh, you know, senior leadership and even, um, you know, not necessarily just senior leaders, but a lot of people within my team that I worked with and relied on on a day-to-day -day basis um, within a matter of um, you know, a few months could kind of all left. And so that sort of um, left myself and a few others who, um, you know, had maybe been there for like four years or so as some of the most seasoned people on the team, at least in that specific office. And so um, suddenly we were kind of inundated with a lot more responsibilities. So um, I was uh, kind of able to step up and take on the management um, of honestly, one of, one of the largest accounts for um, the agency in North America in terms of SEO. So that was definitely a really huge opportunity. Um, uh, definitely learned a lot through that. There were a lot of ups and downs. Um, worked with an internal team that was completely across the country and who operated very, very differently. So um, that was definitely a huge challenge. Um, my approach has always been to 
um, you know, I like to be transparent with clients, be pretty honest and open. And um, that team kind of was more so just trying to, um, you know, not always maybe being as upfront as I felt that they should have been sweeping some things under the rug, didn't always want to give us FaceTime with the client or, um, you know, face or phone time with the client. And, um, you know, if, if something had happened on like, maybe let's say like a technical end or something like that, that, you know, um, you know, maybe erased a site functionality or erased optimizations we had made or, you know, something like that, that there was no, um, there really wasn't a lot of responsibility being taken on the other team's end. And so that was something that um, was very difficult for me to navigate, especially from, you know, 3,000 miles away and really, you know, only seeing the client maybe like once or twice a quarter and mostly speaking to them on the phone because, you know, obviously you don't want to put your internal team under the bus, but at the same time they're making, you know, your life very, very difficult. Um, so I think that that for me, it, it was a success, but it was also just a huge learning opportunity as well. Um, there was another client that I worked on um, where the client was um, stateside and, you know, they were, they were great, um, but they were owned by a parent company and the parent company assigned um, SEO teams to all of their, um, their sub brands. So they technically had an SEO team um, that was in India. And so got to deal with a lot of fun, um, you know, sexism issues there. Um, there was myself and another uh, female coworker on the team. And um, for a while, it was just the two of us. Um, and eventually another male came on the team and it was just frustrating because she could say something and then, you know, I would kind of rephrase and say the same thing and, it, you know, it was just silence or, you know, confusion and then the male coworker would repeat exactly what one of us had said and it's like, oh, thank you, thank you, that's great, you're so helpful. <laughs> so I think um, stuff like that was kind of frustrating and I think that it um, made me realize just how important, um, you know, clear documentation is and, um, you know, you know, if you need to do like workflow trackers and things like that, um, just to, you know, kind of keep, um, you know, you know, where's the responsibility with this task? Who's owning this? Um, just to help keep things clear, especially with kind of that, that language and cultural barrier. I think that that for me was something that was, um, you know, difficult to learn, but it was definitely very important. Tell me, tell me about a, a, a failure. Um, so this is actually very embarrassing. <laughs> and a few years ago, I probably never would have admitted this because I was mortified about it for a long time, but now it's been a while, so I'm just going to laugh about it. Um, mm -hmm. But when I first started, um, I it was my first client on-site meeting, and I was just like so stressed about it. I had like stayed up most of the night trying to like prepare and pack and do all these things. And by the time we got there, I didn't even realize, but while we were sitting in this meeting, I guess I was kind of like doing the head bob, and I didn't know, and as I'm falling asleep in this meeting, but like being so tired that I didn't even realize that I was, oh. um, and so that was just something that was absolutely horrific, <laughs> and um, you know, I... I, I didn't realize it. Um, honestly, didn't even know until after the trip. My manager pulled me aside. Like, none of our internal team had, you know, seen me or whatever. But the client had unfortunately noticed. And, you know, they just kind of had a bit of a talk. And they were like, hey, like, what's going on? And I was like, honestly, I was just stressed. And I didn't really get enough sleep. Like, and, you know, you're, like, fresh out of college. And you think you're invincible and all of that. And so I think for me that was super embarrassing and very humbling um, and definitely not a mistake that I <laughs> – that I've um, ever made again. <laughs> Definitely learned to, um, you know, even if you, you know, got a few slides to finish, like just go to bed, do it in the morning. It's absolutely not worth it. <laughs> so. Yeah, I find that there are, um, 
there's a certain type of culture that exists and it's very pervasive with startups, which is interesting because I just came from a startup where it's like the basically work, 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 work. If you're not, if you're not hustling, um, and I, I believe I read an article where somebody called it hustle porn, where it's like the fetish, fetishizing of the hustle and the, mm-hmm. you're not working 80 hours a week, you're, somebody's beating you. And I, I believe there are several studies that show like, hey, after 40 or 45 or 50, um, people's productivity drops dramatically. So like mm-hmm. you may be working 30 extra hours or whatever that may, whatever that may be, but you're not nearly as effective um, as you are with a, with a, with a night of rest and um, six or eight hours of sleep or whatever you require. So like for me, work-life balance is, um, it's hugely, hugely important, not only because I've got a, a family life, but even when I, even when I, I, I didn't have kids or didn't have anything else going on, I always make it a point even when I see other folks around me, and it's not to say that I don't want to work more hours, but I feel like it's very important for your for your brain and your own personal sanity to just completely unplug. I have a personal policy where like other people get like slacks on their phone or email on their phone. I, I won't do that because when I'm away from work, my mind is away from work and it's time to it's time to focus on me. Um, and now when I'm at work, if I'm going to be working in it, and it's not like I'm working like 20 hours or 30 hours, right. I'm still doing my 40 to 50. Um, when I'm at work, damn well better be efficient, right. If other people are working the, um, you know, working a, a, a huge amount of hours and, and those people, those people do get recognized, especially around holiday time because they're, they're putting in that extra time. But for me, it's just never been beneficial. And I find that I burn out um, quite a bit, um, you know, once I start kind of reaching that peak, or once I get to five or six in, in, in you know, in the evening, and, and it's time to like switch over to like, hey, this is personal time. Um, but I definitely give the advice to people like, you go on vacation, take your computer, but don't open it, right? Take your computer in case there's a fire, don't open it. Um, because it's just good for your mental health. And I think mental health is in, important and sometimes um, in many industries, but I find that it's pervasive in SEO. Sometimes mental health suffers. Um, super yeah. important, super important thing. Um, and I think too, just because our job is dealing with the internet, sometimes it is a little hard to disconnect because so many of us, you right. know, we're not just using the internet at work, but you know, we're using it at home too in our personal space. And so I think that it, kind of blurs those lines a bit. Um, but have you like, and maybe this is not appropriate, but like, have you felt pressured at either like your previous job or, you know, current situation to be working more or is it kind of just like you're being productive and you know, people leave you alone type situation? Absolutely. And I, I think over time and I would say this is mostly pervasive in the agency agency world. And it was, um, it's been, I've been, I've been in-house twice and I've been at agencies three times, right? Um, and, but I would say 90% of my time has been with agencies. And that's something that once people have worked with me for a long enough time, they know that I'm a really efficient employee. But there definitely is pressure, whether it be pressure from above or pressure from your peers because you see them working 50 or 60 or whatever, um, you know, whatever the number of hours is, there's definitely a, uh, an expectation 
that comes from above or, or from the from the side that yes there you either need to put in those hours every week or like hey there are certain times of year when you really need to suck it up and pull a 60 hour week or pull multiple 60 hour weeks or string that together and um, doing that once in a while is okay with me doing it every week is not something that's sustainable for me and I'm I I try to be a good team player, but there's definitely pressure. Um, and in agency life, there's definitely an expectation that you should go above and beyond often. And I find that um, the place that I'm at now, it's, it's, it's not bad. And, and I love my boss and he doesn't put that kind of pressure on me, right? It's a very chill environment. Other places, um, it's been, you know, it's been an expectation that you spend half your year pulling 60 hour, 60 hour work weeks. And that's just, that's not great. Um, now I get it during the holidays, right? Um, especially if you have retail clients, it's kind of an, it kind of is a, it comes with the, with the territory, but, um, at a certain point it's just unhealthy. So I try not to do it. I agree. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, for me, um, you know, there've been definitely times where there's been that pressure and things like that, but I, yeah, I'm the same way, like on the weekends or, you know, um, you know, evenings, like if I need to log on and check things, I will, I'm happy to jump on and do that as needed. But like in terms of like putting like work stuff on my phone, I do have Slack, um, just cause we use it very heavily at my current agency, but, um, everyone's really great about, you know, Hey, unless there's something really pressing, like people don't want to bother you. They know that, you know, you're a good employee and you're getting your stuff done. And maybe that's just the benefit of, you know, me being at a smaller company now and we all really, um, know and trust each other and know that we have really strong work ethics, but I agree. Like I just went on, um, a five day vacation, uh, back in December and didn't take my computer, didn't have email on my phone. I was like, Hey, my clients can call me if they need to. And, um, you know, I have Slack if my internal people need to reach me. But beyond that, like, hey, I'm, I'm getting paid to be off. And I know that when I return, um, you know, me having that time just to get outside and not be looking at a screen um, is going to help me be a better and more productive employee when I when I get back. And I think that that's something that um, a lot of people just, you know, feel like if they're not constantly checking in that like they're not going to be as relevant or that they're, you know, missing out or whatever. But at the end of the day, like the business world's going to keep on turning. Like it's not like Amazon's not going to stop selling products just because I go on a vacation. Google's not going to stop working because, you know, you took a half day to go see your kids at school or whatever, you know? So I think it's just kind of trying to figure out that balance. So, so this section always runs long. Um, got two more questions. One I think is extremely personal, but it's honestly, it's the type of stuff that I'm really, really interested in exploring in relation to working at an agency. So, and feel free. You don't have to answer. So a couple of years ago, you went through a pretty significant personal loss with your dad. Mm -hmm. What was that like going through that and coming to work at the same time? Um, to be completely blunt, it was horrible. Um, and I can't imagine being someone in a situation where you had a loved one pass unexpectedly because I'm sure that that would be even more awful. Um, in my situation, it was one of those things where it was kind of inevitable, but you know, obviously when it still happens, it's so awful. And, um, I was at a point where I just, you know, for a few months I, I felt like my, my brain was in a fog every day. I would wake up and go to work and I felt like a zombie and, and Jake, I know you were my career manager at that point. And I think I remember telling you at one point that I'm just trying to like get through right now. Like I, I you know, 
absolutely had was very unlike myself and had no desire to you know take on anything extra because I was expending all of my energy just to physically be present at work um, to be completely blunt and so um, I think that that's something where um, you know and I will say too that you know where we were where I was working at the time they had a really great policy of like hey like you know you know take take the days you need you know no one's going to question this like totally fine and everyone was you know very very supportive very very kind um and you know i think that um that that's kind of you know what i was going back to saying too of you know why i was so hesitant to leave that job just because everyone um was so supportive of me and i do still consider a lot of these you know you and other people that I've met, you guys are great friends, even more like a, like a little work family. <laughs> and so, um, I think that without that, I, I can't imagine being someone who, you know, went to work and sat in a cube every day and didn't really talk to other people or have anyone to rely on. I think that that would be very difficult, but, um, you know, I think when you're going through that situation, you just have to keep reminding yourself that even if you're just showing up at work and answering some emails, like at that point, like it's not that you're trying to be a bad employee but at that point like if that's the best you can do then that's the best you can do and also too I would really encourage you just um you know to take your mental health very seriously you know I was someone who I always felt like I never needed to talk to anyone didn't need counseling and you know got to a certain point where I was like I feel depressed all the time I can't get out of bed and like that's never how I've acted and so um I definitely would recommend to um you know I explored the um you know the resources that the company provided in terms of you know helping with some free sessions and things like that and um I would say just um anything that your you know your company wants you to be the best employee that you can be and when you're going through something that's really difficult like that they want to provide um you know those resources for you to to kind of help you process and deal with those things so I definitely recommend, um, you know, reaching out to those hotlines, reaching out to your HR person saying, hey, um, I'm, you know, dealing with this, um, resources that the company offer. And I think that um, that kind of stuff is, was hugely important in helping me kind of get myself back on track. Absolutely. And um, what advice would you give, not to people going through it, but to the people around the people going through it? Because I feel like sometimes when there's a situation like that, it's almost hard to know what is the right thing, what is the person looking for from other people in terms of support, what can you do that is like appropriate but not like over the top to make them feel even worse about it. It's kind of a weird and awkward situation for people around you. What would you, as somebody that went through this, recommend for the people around those people? Absolutely. I think that's a great question. And it probably does differ a little bit individually. But um, I think for me, what was really important was just, you know, you, you know, that you're suffering and everyone else knows that you're suffering, but you still want people to, you know, to treat you normally. Um, So I think just, you know, still making sure um, that you're, you know, taking those people like, hey, put a lunch on their calendar, ask them if they want to go on a walk, Um, you know, even just like pull them aside for like a casual like, hey, um, you know, I know we were we had XYZ meetings this week, whatever. Um, but like, how are you doing with things? Like, you know, are there things you're falling behind on? Can I help you? Is there anything you want to talk about? Um, I think just kind of, you know, making sure that, um, you know, not that you wouldn't normally be checking in, but I think maybe just kind of increasing that a little bit, but then, um, you know, kind of just in a general team setting, just still trying to, you know, make sure you're cracking jokes. Like, you want to be laughing at something. Um, so I feel like just treating the person as, as normally as you can, which I know is kind of a cliche and dumb answer, but um, really that's, you know, kind of, kind of how, how it feels. 
that's the answer. That's the answer. That's the answer. I've never gone through it, so I don't. I don't know. Um, biggest mentor, who who has helped you out? Um, Give a shout out to somebody. That's so tough. I feel like there's quite a few. Um, I would say definitely you have probably pushed me the most and helped shape my career the most. So thank you very much for um, for all of that. I know that um, you again, like you said, you got stuck you dealing for, with me at a, a difficult time in my life for a little while. For, for, say, for saying me. Yeah, uh, but, but because I'm the host of the podcast, you can't pick <laughs> me, so pick somebody else. Um, yeah, so um, definitely, you know, learned a lot from you and, and learned that, you know, hey, like not everyone knows everything all the time and it doesn't hurt to just Google something if you don't know the answer. Um, and yeah. I think that that for me was a huge learning curve just because I, I felt like, you know, people who are more senior than me just had this massive knowledge and just could pull out any answer at any time. And I realized mm-hmm. like, okay, no, they're just looking stuff up sometimes too, just like I am. So I think that that was, you know, hugely helpful. But um, in terms of other mentors, um, definitely have to call out um, another of our former colleagues that you also interviewed Maggie Barr. Um, I think for me, just um, being like a young woman um, in the workplace um, and I don't currently have any children, but, um, you know, definitely kind of watched her go through the whole process of, you know, going from someone who, um, you know, who didn't have any kids to someone who had three kids and was still holding down a full-time job and not only just holding it down, but being extraordinarily successful at it and taking on all sorts of, um, you know, extracurricular things, not just at work, but in her personal life as well. And, you know, just being like, wow, man, some days I can barely go home and like make a pot of mac and cheese. Like, how are you doing all this? Um, And I think just kind of having those honest conversations of like, hey, like, you know, it seems like on the outside sometimes that everyone has it all together, but that's not always the case. You know, don't be afraid to ask for help. And, um, but, you know, most importantly, I think this kind of goes back to what you were saying too about just being productive and managing your time. Um, of, you know, when you're at work, you've got to be at work. And I think that that was something for me um, that was a little bit difficult when I first started just because, like I said, you're on the internet, it's easy to get distracted. I'd find myself taking BuzzFeed quizzes and things like that that I shouldn't have been doing. Um, and obviously everyone needs like a brain break once in a while. It's totally understandable. But yeah. I think just, um, you know, from her and, and kind of to navigating, you know, those situations of, hey, like, you know, you're you're seeing, you know, a male colleague being treated a little bit differently than you. Like, how do you approach that? Or like, how does like so-and-so get away with these things? Like, is it just because, you know what I mean? They're getting this preferential treatment and, and stuff like that. So I think that she was very helpful to me in, um, in terms of just how do I – um, go from kind of that like oh I'm just a content writer person to no like I'm someone who's smart I can be strategic I know how to do my job I just need you to kind of back off and like give me the reins and just you know let me see how this goes I'll reach out to you if I need assistance kind of thing and just sort of how do I you know be able to prove myself and just increase my visibility across not only clients but the internal team as well and I would say that um, you know outside of um, you like after you you know you left the agency um she definitely was like my biggest champion and, and pushed me very very hard so maggie is awesome right maggie <laughs> she was like i feel like a um a, a bit of a mom, mama bear for for the team and um a super strong woman um mother of three don't know how she does it don't know how she did it and just uh like you said awesome at her awesome at her job awesome at work um, awesome at home and um, does everything the the right way and comes to comes to work with a really great um, or at least then a uh, really great great attitude and um, 
yeah, she was, she was a pleasure, a pleasure to work with. And um, you, so you brought up a couple of things. Definitely. I do want to touch on them before we move to move to the next section is um, SEO. I feel like tends to be, now don't get me wrong. There are some, some female rock stars within the industry, but everywhere that I've been, especially from a leadership standpoint, it's been SEO uh, leadership has been predominantly represented by males within the company. And I've always thought that that was stupid, <laughs> stupid and, and wrong for, for a lot of reasons. And for, I, and I don't know why, but females just seemingly were held. I don't know if held down is the right word because I don't, I'd hope that it wasn't intentional, but that's the way that it shook, shook out. And I remember when I, we were at the other place, um, honestly, all of the managers, directors, and above, they were all men. Mm-hmm. How did that make you feel? Um, honestly, like, especially when I was like a fresh college hire, even though I had, you know, interned and at least had some level of familiarity with most of the people on the team, it was super intimidating. Um, I really don't know how else to put it because especially too, I think that where we had been, there was sort of this like toxic bro culture thing going on where, you know, you could definitely tell that, you know, people were being invited to like go to these lunches or people would like hang out or, you know what I mean? Like do these different, just, just the way that accounts were set up. Um, you know, I remember being on an account, um, probably like maybe like two or three years into my job. And at that point, um, you know, I was still kind of, I don't even know if I was at a manager level yet at that point, um, or where I was at, but you know, just, just, kind of, you know, writing content and doing that, you know, optimizations and things like that. And there was someone, um, you know, one of those people on, on my team and, you know, it'd be time for a monthly report and our project manager would say, Hey, you know, I need our report by like X day. And then we'd meet and it'd be two days later. And she'd be like, Hey, like, you know, I asked you for this report. Where is it? Like, oh, it'll get done. And then I'd like see the person frantically like doing it five minutes before the client meeting. But then I would see them walking around the office all day, just like, you know, playing basketball with other people and chatting people up and drinking and, you know, doing stuff like that. And like, I just recall feeling very frustrated because I felt like I was sitting there all day, you know, with my head down, doing my work, not getting recognized because why, like I said, small fish, very big pond, not getting recognized at that point, which that's fine. But then these other people, it seemed like were being praised and not only just praised, but also promoted at like an insane rate. While most of the people that I saw actually sitting at their desks and doing hard work and who I know were kind of driving the strategy, even if they weren't the ones necessarily maybe presenting the strategy to a client were kind of just being swept aside. And to me, that was, um, very disheartening, I will say, but like I said, eventually the, you know, those people left and then it kind of opened up room for, um, the rest of us to kind of fill into those roles, maybe take on too much, (laughs) um, as I think you would agree with me. But, um, I I think that, you know, just kind of, you know, thinking back on that, you know, it was tough. Like I would say maybe there were like one or two women, um, that I can think of who, who were in a leadership position. And, um, there was one who, you know, I did, I did definitely look up to quite a bit, but the other one kind of just, and maybe it was a survival tactic, but she made herself kind of part of the boys club. And I, I felt just as intimidated by her as I did by, you know, all the men who were in leadership. And I think it just, um, for me, like, I, I think, um, what would have been awesome to have would just have been someone who I felt was maybe a little bit more approachable that, 
I could have gone to talk to, like it would have been cool for, you know, women to, you know, try to set up some sort of women's group or, you know, something like that. But yeah, in general, I think that, you know, SEO and a lot of like, you know, tech fields, things like that, they do tend to be male dominated. I think that right now is probably the best it's ever been. And hopefully it's just going to keep getting better. Um, but um, just a quick little plug, I have found an awesome group um, that I'm hoping to officially join soon called Women in Digital. Um, if you're a woman and you do anything relating to like digital marketing at all, um, definitely check this group out. They're all across the country. They have awesome <clears throat> monthly sessions and meetups. Um, you know, you can kind of go and someone will present every month and you can, um, you know, they have an opportunity for people to share some issues that they might be going through in the workplace and then everyone else can offer suggestions based on, you know, what they have gone through. And, you know, it doesn't always have to be things like, oh, well, this man got promoted and I didn't, you know, it's just a huge variety of different, you know, um, uphill battles that people are struggling with. And it's very eye opening and it's awesome. And it's a great way to connect with people in your community. So I would say that, you know, if you're at a company where you don't maybe have that kind of leadership and you're lacking women in leadership, definitely check out women in digital. Yes. And I feel like, who is the founder of that? Um, that's an excellent question. I can't recall. <laughs> so I'm looking at the website right now and there's Elena Shearer, who's an amazing, amazing speaker actually in Columbus, Ohio. I think oh, there's yeah. a branch of this in Columbus, Ohio. I do, I do know that they do their conference in Columbus every year. So that makes sense. Yes. Yes. So absolutely. And I believe I just, um, I just spoke at a conference and I'm, I don't know why, but I'm blanking out on the name because I believe um, that the founder is actually the woman behind this, and I'm embarrassed that I'm that I'm forgetting the <laughs> name uh, now that I'm on the on the spot. But uh, <laughs> yes, definitely join uh, Women in Digital. Huge presence in Columbus, but if you're not in Columbus, yeah. So let's move on. Um, Got to make your bones. Got to drop a, a knowledge bomb. Not a violent knowledge bomb, but uh, <laughs> a knowledge a knowledge bomb, so to speak. Tell us something that we don't know? Hmm, tell you something that you don't know. That's a great question. You work on Amazon. There's probably a lot of SEOs that don't know a thing about Amazon. Yeah, I would you say... You don't have to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Well, I, I just, I sort of feel like I guess I've already talked about what I was going to say for this. So is it bad if I kind of like repeat a little bit or do you repeat want me to... It. Okay, so I think just like... Um, for me, some, like something that I learned that like most people don't know is just that, um, you know, so Amazon being behind the eight ball or, or just not having as updated of like an algorithm and, you know, not being as updated as a platform is in general as something like a Google. I feel like there's definitely a lot of opportunity there. Um, and there's a lot of growth that's happening very rapidly. And so not just on like the SEO side, but also on the advertising side, um, they just started offering um, a display program. Um, you know, just stuff that on Google seems basic, like, oh, yeah, of course, but like a Walmart website just started offering advertising in 2018. I mean, it's, kind of astounding when you think about it, right? About, how, you know, how could these companies just be so so far behind? But um, for a while, uh, you know, just with Amazon kind of setting the pace, like I think it was sort of if Amazon wasn't doing it, then it wasn't really on their radars either. Um, and so I think just kind of, yeah, like in terms of knowledge bomb, just um, that with Google, I know that of course there's still people who are out there doing like black hat or spammy things, but I feel like in most instances, Google catches those people pretty quickly. Um, but in the Amazon world, I feel like, unfortunately, there probably is not that our agency operates in this 
excuse me, in this way, but there is still a lot of, you know, chances for that kind of stuff to fly under the radar just because it isn't quite as a sophisticated platform. And um, when you're dealing with Amazon support, so if you're dealing with like someone who's a, you know, a vendor manager or different people, those people are typically based in the U.S., but their support people are um, based out of India, which probably isn't a surprise. So um, kind of the the fate of your um, content uploads to Amazon, if you will, sort of rests in their hands. So if, you know, they're flagging your things and they're saying, oh, hey, like, you know, this seems to talk about a promotion and, um, you know, we can't have that in your A-plus content, you know, you have to revise and things like that. It's I don't want to say it's not like about gaming the system, but I feel like it's, you know, with Amazon, it's more just about learning the different intricacies of, hey, like what's what's kosher and what's not, you know, like we found, you know, even lately um, for one client, we, they're, they're like a book publisher. And so, you know, in a product image, we put like free access to the mobile app and, you know, we tried putting the same thing in their A plus content and it got rejected. And so it's just very interesting and very nuanced to see kind of, you know, what's, what is more strict on approvals, what's not, you know, and the, the rules on Amazon honestly do, it's like Google, they do change all the time. So I think just, um, you know, honestly, like not, it's not glamorous, but I think that, um, just, you know, in our, in our life working, working with Amazon and other third parties, a lot of our time is spent dealing with support, but that's also where we, I feel like learn the most about the platform as well. Sorry, I'm looking up because it's bother, it's bothering me. The, uh, oh, the name. The name. Aaron Atchison. Yes. So I spoke <laughs> at Found, and I can't believe I didn't remember that. I spoke at Found Conf, uh, Conference um, a couple months ago, and she was the person kind of behind behind that conference, and she's really big with women in digital. So Aaron Atchison, definitely another name to, to know if you're interested in getting into women in, in digital. Sorry. Um, <laughs> that was going to drive me crazy. Uh, tools. What, I guess, what's in your tool belt? What tools are you, you using these days? Um, that's a great question. And honestly, this might sound like a lame answer, but I really think that transitioning over to um, a smaller agency uh, with, you know, pretty defined roles has been huge just in terms of my coworkers, I feel like, are my toolbox. Um, if that, that probably sounds really corny, but, um, you know, we have our advertising team, technical team, creative team. Um, I'm on a team of strategists. Um, we have our, our co-founders who, um, they had actually started an Amazon offering at another Cleveland agency and then, you know, kind of brought it out to be and, you know, grew it into marketplace strategy. But um, so we kind of have like them as our gurus, but, you know, all the rest of us, I feel like are little subject matter experts in lots of different things from things like getting brand registered on Amazon to, you know, doing things like seller fulfilled prime or, you know, or stuff like that. So for me, my toolbox is just knowing like, oh, hey, so my coworker Dan's had a lot of experience um, with launching international accounts in like Europe and Australia. My client's interested in, you know, doing an Asia account or, you know, something like that. Like, cool, I'm going to go talk to him because I know that he can at least point me in the right direction and that'll save me time, like digging through hours of, blogs or, you know, dealing with Amazon support or things like that. So that probably sounds kind of lame, but honestly, I think just, um, just that. And at the end of the day, like, like we were talking about earlier, you know, if you don't know the answer to something, Googling, it's always an option. I will say that this, unfortunately, since there are less people who are doing, um, Amazon SEO sometimes fails me. Whereas, you know, at my previous gig, um, was able to find answers. I would feel like 99% of the time, but a lot of times now I feel like just with things changing so rapidly, it's a little bit more 
of a guessing game and I can't always necessarily get answers that I need or I'm looking for. Um, but we have a really collaborative team and everyone's always um, really happy to help me, you know, get to the solution I need to. And, um, and, uh, you know, just kind of use each other as, you know, boomerangs and bounce knowledge off each other all the time. Are there any tools that are just developed specifically for marketplaces in Amazon that you guys use internally that are only for that and not for regular SEO? Yeah, that's a great question. There's a ton. Um, unfortunately, I'm like blanking right now. I will say, um, so we have a proprietary tool called MPS Insights. A lot of other um, Amazon or, you know, other third-party specific agencies um, have those as well. So I would say that like if an Amazon agency is trying to sell you on their technology, they're likely selling you on their own technology. Um, but there are a lot of third-party tools. Best advice for somebody getting into the industry, whether it be just regular SEO or Amazon SEO? Oh, yeah, great question. Um, I think just, uh, you know, kind of like I had said, I think just, you know, when I started out, you kind of just feel like you're hot shit and you're like, oh, cool, I have this awesome job, but, you know, I'm doing digital marketing and blah, 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 but at the end of the day, like, you don't know everything and you're not invincible and, you know, it definitely really, I feel like, pays to just sign up for a few things like, think with Google or, you know what I mean? Stuff like that, just to kind of keep yourself fresh and be getting that in your inbox every single day. Even if you're not necessarily always like in depth reading all the articles, just skimming the headlines, even diving back in later when you can. Um, you know, if you're more into podcasts or, you know, obviously there's Jake's podcast, there's a ton of other podcasts, um, you know, kind of that, you know, that you can listen to as well. Um, you know, like even while you're working. Um, and so I think just kind of just staying on top of that industry news and um, making sure as well that you're not only sharing that internally, but that you're sharing that with your clients. Because sometimes I think that the things that seem obvious to us are not obvious to our clients. Like I had one instance where I'd been working with a client for probably like a year. And I mentioned the term SERP, which to us is like super basic. And like mm -hmm. the head digital guy at the very large company was like, oh, what's a SERP? Had, had no idea. We'd, you know, mentioned, we'd gone over this, mentioned this probably hundreds of times, you know, over the course of a year. And all of a sudden this question just comes out, you know? And so I think just kind of taking that step back and realizing like, okay, we're heads down in this every single day. These other people might not be, or even if they do, you know, have a digital background, they might not still be really working within the digital field that much anymore. They need a refresher. They need us to just come to them with whatever's most relevant and make sure that instead of just using our typical lingo that we're like really fully explaining things to them because they might not be catching on the way that we think they are. I, um, it's funny that you say that. I had a discussion with somebody a couple of weeks ago where we were talking about like challenges that they had run into in their career. And one of those challenges was that they had run into a bit of trouble with a client because they were often talking kind of in the lingo and the jargon that we use um, within the industry and the client didn't understand it. And um, that became kind of a real barrier to, um, the relation, the relationship, and um, they honestly they asked him to be off off the account so that they could get um, somebody else on the account that would be a, willing to be more educational or that didn't um, speak in in some of those acronyms and so on and so on and so forth. Um, the other thing that you brought up is um, 
right? <laughs> when you start out, right, you, you certainly have a lot to, there's the cat again, um, you have a lot to, to learn. I always tell people to be a sponge, but one of the things you brought up several times was feeling intimidated that people above you know everything um, and have all the answers. And I can tell you that that is definitely, definitely not the case. It's okay to Google things often. You uh, honestly, often the way, <laughs> the way that I learn things myself is to Google and, and dive in. Um, and I I, I know that I don't have all the answers and, and especially, especially now um, that my, you know, I feel like my life is super, super busy. I feel like I have less and less and less time to, um, to dive in. But the other thing that I've found kind of the flip side of that is that there have been times where I have looked up to certain people and held them in really high regard. And it's not to say that you should think everybody above you is not smart or not as smart as not as smart as you or or you shouldn't even think that they're smarter than you but um these people were in very high positions in the workplace so i kind of just assumed that i was going to be able to go to them and they would be able to answer my answer my question and there were a few times where i was let down let down by that where um a couple of people that have i would say pretty well known in, in the industry. Um, not great, not great reputations in places that they've actually worked, but really well known. I would guess I call it kind of the speaking circuit. And I went to them with what I thought was a basic question. They'll know that for sure. Deer in the headlights look. And it was like, it was really kind of an eye opener for me to not just assume that somebody, because they're a senior director or they're, this person who's the president of some really, you know, really great digital organization that they'll have all the answers, right? Even, even, even the great so-and-so didn't have all the answers. And when it, and sometimes those people aren't great when it comes to actually working on clients, right? It's probably like the difference between a theoretical physicist and an actual engineer when it comes time to actually do the work. Sometimes those types of people can um, struggle even if they are a big name. So don't let yourself feel, feel down or, or allow those people to um, make you feel intimidated. There are times when you are just as knowledgeable, if not more so, um, more so than those types of people. But then also don't just assume everybody's, you know, especially when you're starting out, don't assume everybody's dumber than you. <laughs> Never do that either. So it's, it's really trying to, I guess, find a balance in, in the middle. And, and you certainly will find that there are some people above you that absolutely know more and that there are some people below you that, that know more than you think. So very interesting. I agree. And I think, yeah, something that I ran into too is almost like a, like a theoretical versus actual like implementation type problem. Like I think like you were saying, people that I, I felt that ones who maybe would speak at conferences more, who are more well known um, in terms of actually like working on an account with them, it was like pulling teeth. Um, even just to sometimes get a simple thing of like, I remember asking like, hey, like what would your tips be for someone who's never presented at a conference before? And it took me like three months to get a Word document with like 10 little 
tips on it from, you know, and it's like, yeah. isn't this something that you should be able to write out in your sleep kind of thing? Like it's not even like SEO related or like a hard technical question or anything like that. Um, but along those lines as well, I think just one other piece of advice that I would offer to anyone who's kind of starting out in their career is just that, um, if you do find someone, um, whether it's someone who's on an account with you or someone that maybe there's like a leadership program you get paired up with, um, but even if not, and even if they're outside your discipline, maybe they're in like tech creative, something like that, if there's someone that you respect and that you know you kind of jive with, like ask that person for a little bit of your time. Most people love talking about themselves and I've found that most senior people love talking um, and kind of trying to help uh, people who are, you know, not at the level that they're at and kind of just, it's always good to get a different perspective. So I think whether that person is inside or outside of your discipline, um, that would definitely be something I would hugely recommend. Absolutely. So time to, um, time to move into the last segment, time to get made into the, um, the page two podcast family. So what is a personal <laughs> fact that most people don't know about you? Um, that is a great question. Well, I was going to say my cat Gatsby, but I guess everyone at this point probably is pretty aware. Right, right. <laughs> um, oh man, that's a really good question. Um, what is a fact that most people don't know about me? Um, I, hmm, I'm trying to think. Um, so I just am one of those people who like loves traveling. I feel like I, I could just go anywhere all the time. Like there's so many places that I wish I could go that are like unsafe or whatever, but, um, uh, you know, definitely love traveling domestically. I've done Europe, Asia, really want to go to Australia, New Zealand, South Pacific. Um, honestly, like basically you could send me anywhere and I would just be thrilled. So, um, but one of my like random bucket list items is I, um, would really love to at some point just take a, um, a road trip, kind of just whole route 66, do the whole thing from beginning to end. So that's something I've never done. Um, something else that's like also a really random interest, um, and especially with the crazy weather that we had yesterday is, um, I weirdly obsessed with like severe weather and tornadoes. Um, when I was a kid, really? I, yeah, I like loved, um, you know, love, thought, like, these scared me, but I, like, loved, like, really intense thunderstorms or tornado warnings or things like that. Um, thought about being a meteorologist for, like, a hot second, but, like, math, science aren't really my forte. Um, and so, uh, yeah, but, like, love the movie Twister. Um, would love to do a storm chasing trip at some point, um, which are, unfortunately, very expensive, um, like, a few thousand dollars, but definitely think it would be a cool experience. So, um, yeah, that's kind of my little nerd fact. <laughs> storm chaser. That, yeah, that would be pretty pretty fun to just go out to like Kansas and uh, drive her. Well, I don't know if they drive around like if I feel like I've seen shows where some people drive around in, in like tanks almost, but then <laughs> other shows like if, if Twister is to be believed, it's somebody in there like Dodge Ram just driving around. Maybe that's more, more realistic chasing, chasing down these storms and getting them on camera. No, I always, um, I feel like I always find that if I ever see like storm chaser shows on TV, it's one of the TV shows that that and like ghost stories, I find that I always mm -hmm. stop on or mob mob movies as anybody knows, knows, especially my wife, anytime the Godfather's on, I, I'm just like, all right, that's what I'm doing. Um, I mean, it's I a classic, there goes three hours of, of your life. <laughs> right, right. Um, so it is, it is. Um, Desert Island movies. So you're familiar with The Office, right? Yes. 
and the specifically the episode of The Office where Ryan starts the fire and they have to go outside and they're playing Desert Island movies, right? So the five movies, and it can be shows, I guess, but the five programs, I'll call them, that if you were stuck on a desert island and you could only watch five programs, movies, shows, or whatever, what would that be? That's a great question. So definitely would have to say Twister, um, just because, you know, chasing. Yeah, love Twister. Um, I also love Groundhog Day. Um, weirdly, like, I don't know, my dad and I, like, love that movie. We would watch it all the time. Um, in terms of shows, I think Parks and Rec is hilarious. I could watch that, like, all day, any day. Um, you know, Mean Girls, I would have to say, is definitely a classic. And then um, I also love kind of, like, the old school, like, Saturday Night Live cast. So I'd probably have to say Blues Brothers, too, just because I think that movie is phenomenal. Blues Brothers number two. Okay. No, not number two. Well, oh. number two is not bad, but, like, I meant two, like. Oh, T-O-O. Um, so is Twister your favorite movie then? Favorite movie out of all of them? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, like, that's like the only movie you mentioned just about. Which one? Wait, which one? Twister? Yeah, you said Twister was like, the that was the first thing out of your mouth. With I Desert. do love that movie. It's just one of those ones, it's so quotable, and I feel like I could just watch it all the time. I don't know. I don't really know if I could even pick a favorite, though. Um, wow. tough, but I would yeah, not I have expected it. Twister to come out of your mouth. Okay. <laughs> That's that's weird. Uh, <laughs> Bill Paxton, Helen Hunt, yeah, great movie. There, they, you know, it's um, gosh, who is the other guy that's he's got like a minor role? Uh, Philip Seymour is it Philip Seymour Hoffman? Philip Seymour Hoffman, him yeah. and Bill Paxton are both dead now. Dead, rip, yeah, yeah, yeah. And speaking of Philip Seymour Hoffman, I watch so anytime the Hunger Games comes on, that's another. Yeah. And, like, I feel like my, I think my wife thinks that I just like pure misery, but all the shows that I watch are just, like, pure misery or, I guess, diet, like, The Hunger Games, I feel like, is a great uh, series of movies. He's in that. And he's, I think he plays an awesome role, but that was right yes. before, right before he passed away. Mm-hmm. So, always watch that when it, when it comes on. Philip Seymour Hoffman, good actor. I agree. Yeah, I'm, I'm really big into, like, the sci-fi fantasy stuff, too, like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. Um, yes, yeah, all that Hunger Games. Um, I loved like I, not, I didn't really love the movies as much, but the His Dark Materials series I was obsessed with. Like just all all that kind of stuff. I'm all about. So yeah, so Harry Potter. To, to uh, one fun fact is I just bought a Gryffindor Quidditch shirt, and I specifically <laughs> asked for it. And my wife makes makes fun of me because when Harry Potter comes on, another show that I have to have to watch, and I'm like, yep, oh, yeah. I'm a 36 year old man. That's right. Harry mm-hmm. Potter Quidditch. Well, and you could have literally watched it like the day before, but if it's on again, you still have to watch it. Yeah, and in Freeform has Harry Potter on all the time, and now USA also. Just I don't know, like what it is about Harry. I mean, they must it must draw audiences because I feel like every other month, either Freeform or USA has a giant Harry Potter marathon, and it's just awesome. I agree. Yeah, Harry Potter's definitely an addiction. I'm a huge fan. <laughs> and and uh, speaking of sci-fi, the other one that's coming up in April that I finally, I don't even know like how it managed to happen, um, but my wife has become addicted to Game of Thrones. And it's oh, coming up in okay. April. Like we just over break binge watched seasons three through, I believe it's eight. Seasons, oh boy. Uh, or no, seven Game of Thrones. Binge watched every episode. And she was like, she was leading the charge on binge watching it. So I'm excited for that to come up here in April. Were you like an OG fan of that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So like Game of Thrones and Walking Dead, they actually, 
honestly, they both started a r- pretty close to the time when I got into SEO or and, and not, I remember being at like my original agency when those shows started. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I was an OG with both of those shows. First episode, first season, like, wow. I was like, yep, I'm on board for the whole ride. <laughs> and uh, even though, you know, Walking Dead's going downhill uh, quite a bit, yeah, but I've been on board for the entire ride. And that's saying something because I don't, I don't really watch many shows. So mm-hmm. like, if you're in my lineup, that's, you know, not saying anything about the quality of the show, but it's, it's, it's something at least for me because I just don't pick many shows. Yeah, I agree. I, unfortunately, I need to get on the Game of Thrones train. My brother is like obsessed and my mom's seen it all too. And they're like, what are you doing? You like don't have much time. And I'm like, okay, I'll try to catch up. If I need to watch that, I've never seen Walking Dead. Um, another one that I'm like hopelessly addicted to is um, even when the seasons aren't that good is uh, American Horror Story. I don't yeah, know what it is, yeah. but I've like got to watch it. My brother's way into that. Um, so last couple of questions, uh, music, what's on your music app right now? Honestly, everything, um, listen to a lot of Spotify at work. So they kind of curate a lot of those like discover weekly playlists or like release radar. So that kind of stuff is great. Um, I would say I'm a huge alternative fan. So anything like, you know, panic at the disco, fall boy, the main, like all that kind of stuff, like stuff I was listening to in like middle school and high school, I'm still listening to. So, um, you know, love, love them. Um, but definitely pretty broad interest. Like I like country and oldies and classic rock and, um, just honestly, all kinds of stuff. So I'm like, my playlists are pretty eclectic and they're kind of all over the place. So there could be anything from like some like acoustic cover of like a, you know, a 60s song to like something that's not like screamo, but like a little bit all over the board. So just wait until 10 years from now when either you or your kids are calling Panic at the Disco classic rock or classic, oh classic music. I remember the time when I said, when I was, and I was a kid at the time, and my dad just laughed at me when I said, Dad, I love Metallica. They're a classic rock band. And he just like looked at me and like, kid, you got no idea <laughs> what you're talking about. And uh, yeah, and I find that like the music that I listened to in college for me is like, taking me way back, like anytime, like a mm-hmm. Green Day or what some rap song comes on that I that I mm-hmm. listen to in college no matter where I'm at it's like all right time to break it down know all the words for whatever reason even though I'm a a, a middle-aged white suburban male that has no business <laughs> singing or rapping or doing anything like yep. that that was one question that I always have is like how does the human brain like forget what you eat like 20 minutes ago but it remembers songs that you haven't heard in like 20 years like I will literally never understand that I I, honestly, I I forget things all the time. Like I'll set my keys down or my wallet down, can't find them. But when like, and I hate to say this now because of the the person, but like remix to ignition comes on. Oh, I just watched the, that was a show. I just watched that whole R. Kelly special. Right, (laughs) right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, it's so catchy. (laughs) It is. Um, Last question. Last meal. Oh, you're, going so to the, you're going to the electric chair. You can eat one meal. What is it? Yeah, I'm, so I'm kind of like one of those expensive date people. So I'd probably have to pick something pretty fancy, like steak or lobster or whatever. Definitely like the garlic mashed potatoes, probably some asparagus, you know, all that good stuff. And then yep. um, probably ending with like ice cream and a cookie because those are my favorite desserts, probably Mitchell's ice cream. <laughs> so I joke with my wife and she knows this about herself that she 
no matter what, gravitates towards the expensive items on the menu, right? So I always mm-hmm. joke, like, we could take all the prices off of everything and go, go in and you would pick instinctively the most expensive thing. Or we could, like, put a blindfold on you and just tell you, like, move your finger around the menu and she will <laughs> land on the most expensive, expensive thing. So she also is an expensive date. It's <laughs> a problem. Right, right, right. Um, okay, cool. Well, thank you for your time. Where can the, um, where can my audience find you? Yeah, great question. Um, so I would say uh, definitely f- please feel free to reach out to me and add me on um, LinkedIn. Uh, you can also add me on uh, Twitter as well. So that's at uh, GalishJM. Um, definitely not always work-related on there, though. So if you if you want professional updates, I would say go for LinkedIn. If you want a little more personal, um, feel free to go for Twitter. So can you spell your last name? Because I almost always get it wrong. I always put the Y before the L when the L goes before the Y. <laughs> Yep, that's correct. Um, so it's um, the at symbol, of course, and then G-A-L-Y-S-H-J-N-M. There you go. Awesome. Well, thank you for your time. Thank you for staying on so late. And thank you for being so <laughs> candid. You are very welcome. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening to the Page 2 Podcast. If you like this podcast, you can listen and rate it on a number of platforms, including Anchor.fm, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Radio Public, Applecast, Stitcher, Breaker, CastBox, and more. If you wish to support the growth of this podcast, please visit my website at jacobstoops.com forward slash page two podcast or Anchor.fm forward slash page two podcast to make a donation would be greatly appreciated. If you're an SEO who would like to be interviewed, I'd love to have you. Simply send me an email at jake.stoops at gmail.com and we'll absolutely set something up. Until next time, happy optimizing.